today's message, we're going to get into Luke 19 a little bit, which if you've been around Gulfside Church, I talk about Luke 19.10 all the time because that's what I want to stay our heartbeat. But so much of the vision of the church that we want to be is found in Luke 19 that we're going to look at three sections, and we're just going to try to take a little bit from these three different sections because today is kind of a day where we look forward to our, our second anniversary as a church. Next week, we celebrate two years as Gulfside Church existing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. But I believe that God ha has put some specific things uh, on our leadership's heart. That These are areas where we need to push forward in these next 12 months. And so we're going to be talking some about vision today. But I believe that all of that is rooted within Luke 19. All, all of these things that I believe we're called to do, I believe they find their, their roots there. I, I, you don't have to identify yourself if you don't want to, but I wonder, does anyone still have an atlas in their car? Some of you guys remember what atlases are. Some of us, we, we drove back when you had this, it was this book, that's right. I, I have at least one person who's willing to admit they have an atlas in here, just so you know. If you need one, it's there, it's handy, it's reliable, isn't it? I remember back before we had smartphones, each one of us had this big, thick atlas under the seat of our car, and when we were going somewhere new, we had to pull it out, flip to your state, find your part of the city, look at where the roads connect, hope that was the best road, and that was how we got places. And I remember when, you know, I, I, I was a man, but I was 24, so I was still a kid, and I was leading a youth group trip, and one of the volunteers that I had driving one of the other cars was a 48-year-old man who was a contractor who was in charge of other men, and he liked his atlas, but I had a brand new shiny GPS. And this was a time where nobody trusted GPS, largely for good reasons for most of the time, but on this trip, I was like, okay, we have this, and I have my MapQuest directions tucked into the seat in case it goes wrong, but I have the GPS, we're going to follow the GPS and go the way it says, and he's like, this is not going to go well. And we're going from Ohio to North Carolina, and we end up going through a part of the road that's referred to as the Dragon's Tail. Any of you guys who are car enthusiasts, motorcycle people, you maybe have driven that before because it's like hairpin turns on the side of a mountain and it feels like you're just driving to utter death. And I'm following this road through it because I'm following my GPS and I can just see the temperature in the car behind me of his face going through different degrees of this is insanity, we're lost we're going to die. Why am I following this 24-year-old kid? And I start to get a little insecure. And so when we get through that and we finally get to a little civilization where there's a gas station, it looks a little sketchy, but it's a gas station, and I just go in to check to see, is this the road we, are on, we think we're on? Is this where we're supposed to be? Are we going in the right direction? And as I start to get out of the car to check on this, he's already kind of yelling out of the car, I told you we get lost. You're lost, aren't you? You don't know where we are. And I'm like, we're just fine. Where are we? <laughs> but we are. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. And I said, see, we're saving time because of this thing. And I know that it's new. I know that it's different. I know it's not the way you've done it before, but it's working. So we're going to keep going. And he scuffled himself back to his car, shut the door, and we got there. New ways are scary. Things that are different and new, it's, it's not the same as what our past experience was, it's challenging, and I get that. And so many people have looked at what we've done around Gulfside Church and like, you're doing what? Church in a high school? You're, you're, you're doing what kind of things? You're, you're having what at your church? 
I mean, some of you guys were here when we had Dan Meyer, the Americans Got Talent contestant, who's a friend of mine. He also happens to be a sword swallower. It's like, you did what at church? You're having animals, you're having inflatables. Like, that doesn't, set, it doesn't, it might be a new way, it might be a different way, but what I see is that it's working. And it's not just the things that we do, but it's the heartbeat of what's here. And, and I just got the sweetest letter this week from someone who's newer to our church and wrote and talked about how when they came in for the first time, nervous about being here, and they saw this sea of Gulfside shirts at the entrance welcoming them in, they knew this was a place they could belong. And people have been changed, not because of the messages and the music, but because of the community that you guys have created here. And it might be different than other places. We might do things differently than your past experience, but it's been working. And it's been so exciting to see the way that God has worked in people's lives because of the community that you guys have created here. And I believe that the way that we are, I want to continue to see it rooted in Luke 19. And there's three different sections that we're going to look at, and we're going to really take our cues from this. And the first it is starting in verse 6, we see the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. In verse 6, it talks about how Zacchaeus quickly climbed. Actually, no, I'm going to pause there. I'm going to set it up a little bit more. So, sorry. Make that disappear now. Um, Z- Zacchaeus, for those of you guys who aren't familiar with the story, Zacchaeus was a man who was so disliked that even the writer of Scripture decided to include the fact that he was a short little guy. I mean, I don't know that that detail was really necessary, but it was included, and it was true, and it's in there that he was this short little man. But he was a tax collector, and he was despised by the religious people of the day. I mean, he was the person who was pushed to the outside, and and there's disdain because he was someone who worked for the foreign government. This government that came in and was oppressing the people of God, they were seen as a curse. And for someone who was a Hebrew to work for them, it was, it was to be the traitor to the highest level. And so Zacchaeus, first of all, he's a short guy and he's a, in a position of power. And we know how we feel about short guys who try to act tougher than they are. And they use the rules to beat up on the bigger guys. And that's what he was doing because we see later in the passage that he was cheating people out of money. Zacchaeus was disdained by the religious people. But as Jesus was coming by, there was something that sparked inside of this, as the passage calls him, a notorious sinner. There was something that sparked inside of him that said, I want to get a glimpse of this Jesus guy to the point that he was willing as a grown man to climb up a tree. And as Zacchaeus is up there in a tree trying to look over the crowd and catch a glimpse of Jesus Jesus catches a glimpse of him and begins to make this interaction where Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. Now, to do that, to go have a meal with someone else, that's almost to enter into like a family, like friends-like family situation. Where you're like, this person is a part of my life on the inside of my circle. And so as he did this, this created waves of anger amongst the religious people. We'll see in verse 6 that as Jesus invited himself in, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Now when someone who's been far from God begins to get this sense of God is inviting me back in, there is an excitement and joy that is felt. But to the other religious people in the room, as verse 7 says, it says, but the people were displeased. The people get displeased sometimes, don't they? When someone shows up who's different than everyone else, the people get displeased. When when that person, they've done wrong and they don't get to just walk through the doors of church and not expect us to, to look at them like, you need to get out of here. The people get displeased about those who are far from God coming towards God, especially in this day. 
But the people were displeased and they said, He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And this is interesting because their perception was that the religious, the people who had had it together, that especially the person who's this rabbi who makes these claims of being the Messiah, they should not be around those who are broken. But Jesus began to rework these thoughts in their mind. And as he's there and he's in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus, just from being there with Jesus, he makes this statement. He he says, Lord, I'm going to take half my wealth and I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of taxes, I'm going to repay them four times the amount. And on hearing this, Jesus replies, salvation has surely come to this house today. And he rejoices over it. And he says, this man is a true son of Abraham. Which was this huge poke in the eye of the religious people because they claimed they were the sons of Abraham and these other people were not descendants, not heirs to this promise that God had given Abraham. And he says, this sinner, this notorious sinner, he's a true son of Abraham. And then Jesus makes this statement in Luke 19.10 that if you've been around Gulfside Church for a while, this should be a verse that you can repeat because it's simple, it's clear, and it's like Jesus' purpose statement. There's not a place in Scripture where you find a more clear statement where Jesus says, this is why I came to earth. He says, for the Son of Man, which is a title that he uses for himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. In the midst of the religious people saying, you're not supposed to be around him, Jesus is saying, he is the reason that I came. He is the reason that I'm here. I came here to rescue, not to just applaud the people who have it all together. And if this is Jesus' heartbeat, this has to be the heartbeat of the church that claims his name. That that if we're going to be here in this city, we can't just be here for, oh, was this the thing that I wanted? Was this the experience and the emotion and the feeling that I wanted to get today? We have to come to church with, with a sense of, I am here at this church for someone else. I am here at this church for something else, something bigger than just myself. In Rick Warren's words in his book, The The Purpose Driven Life, the very first thing that he says, he opens up with, it's not about you. This is what has to be true of the church and what we look for when we come together and worship and the way that we live our life during the week. We have to live it through a life through the lens of seeing Jesus' mission was to seek and save those who are lost. So church just can't be about me. My life can't be just about me. And we have an example. This is the simple truth. We have an example of how to live, and that comes from Christ himself. And if his example was to seek and save the lost, then we also have a mission. We don't just get to move through the motions of life, but we have a mission. We have something that that we should be moving towards as individuals and corporately as a church body. And the way that Jesus described it, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. The next portion of this chapter, and, and this builds on itself because it starts off where Jesus sets the example and he moves towards those who are hurting, broken, and messy. And then he, he tells this story in, in verse, verses 11 through 26. And I'll, I don't want you to miss 11 because you're familiar with the story. It's the story of the talents. It's a nobleman who entrusted 10 different servants with about three months' worth of wages. And he gives him this, and then he goes away, and he comes back, and he wants to see, what did you do with it? You're familiar with this parable if you've been around church for a while. 
But we often miss what it says in verse 11 about this. It says, before he begins telling this next parable, it says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Before he left, he called together 10, into verse 13, it describes the noblemen. So first of all, Jesus is correcting their, their idea that the kingdom of God was just going to start right now. Everything is going to be perfect right now. That's not what it's going to be. But it says in 13, before the nobleman left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. And so the nobleman goes away, and they're supposed to invest this amount, this three-month salary, and they're supposed to do something with it. And then when he returns, there's this time of accountability, and he brings back the first one, and he says, what did you do with it? I invested it, and I gained 10 times as much. Here it is. Well done. I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. The next one, what did you do with it? I earned five times what you gave me. Awesome, I'm going to put you in charge of five cities. And then the next one that's described, here's what you gave me. I'm giving it back to you because I know that you take things that you didn't work for and I didn't want to lose it, so I'm just giving you what you gave to me. It says, you wicked and lazy servant. Even what you have is going to be taken from you. Now, we hear this and we think about money. This is about the kingdom of God. That's what verse 11 said. And so Christians in the room, I want you to recognize this is about the treasure that God has entrusted to you. For someone who claims the name of Christ, what we're saying is that we believe that the Son of God came and he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and rose to show that we have forgiveness and that we have a new life that is promised to us. This new life brings joy, it brings peace, it brings love, that that the world can't even offer anything close to it. It's a treasure that we've been given. And we've been given this treasure, and as it describes in Luke 19, we have an accountability for how we use it until our king comes home. That we're supposed to use it to share and create this multiplication. And some people will use it, and they'll create ten times what they were given. You were given this amount of joy and love and peace, God will use it to create ten times that. Some will use it, and they'll create five times that. But some people will take it, and in what What the passage says, they will do nothing with it. The disobedient servant, he said that he did nothing with it. This isn't about the money. This is about the kingdom of God. And you have been entrusted with the treasure. What are you doing with it? This is one of the motivating factors for why we want to make an impact in our city. This is a motivating factor for why we want to make a difference in this city. Because we have been entrusted with the treasure and we will be accountable before God for how we used it. And if we believe the hope of the world is Jesus Christ, we can't do nothing with the knowledge of him. We have to find ways to share about it. We have to find ways to share this hope with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family. We can't be found as the lazy servant who only came back with what God gave him because I believe that's comparable to Matthew 13 when Jesus is telling the parable of the sower and it describes the person who the gospel came and it's like a seed that fell among thorns. And it seemed to grow up a little bit but then the worries of life choked it out and it died and it became worthless. So is the person who hears the gospel, but never does anything with it. It loses its value. 
We as the people of God, we have to find a way to share this treasure with our city, to share this knowledge with anyone that we can. In Luke 19, so we see the, the story of Zacchaeus, which leads into the parable of the talents, which then goes into when Jesus is entering into the city of Jerusalem. And in verse 41, it describes this, and it says, but as he, Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Church, when is the last time that you were heartbroken for the city? When is the last time that you were, you were so concerned with someone outside of your circle of life that you took the time to pray and worry and think about them? Uh, of saying, I need to find a way to help them. I wish they would see this. When was the last time our heart was broken for someone outside of our immediate circle? Because as we see Jesus getting ready to enter the, the city, we see this passion well up inside of him for a people who would reject him. For a city that, that would push him away. For a city that would lead, lead him to be crucified. His heart was breaking for them. And when I think about the vision and the mission and the purpose of our church in this city, we have to have a heart that is turned towards our city, not just turned towards the people who already think and act and behave and look like us, but the people who are hurting, the people who might be a little bit more difficult to be around, the people who aren't living in the right way. Instead of just getting angry about the things that we, they do wrong, let's be heartbroken for the fact that they don't yet have this in their life. Let's be heartbroken about the struggle that they're engaged in. We need to have a passion for our city. What breaks God's heart, it should break our heart. And just as we see the, these small things, I believe those, those, those truths are, are some of the foundation of who we've been over the last two years, but I believe that it needs to continue to grow in how we are in these next 12 months. And so I'm going to try to stay in my chair. I didn't, didn't work very well so, so far. But the next 12 months, I want to talk a little bit about the vision of areas that I believe we need to move forward in. There, there's some things that God has put on our leadership's heart for 2020 that individually we need to get better at. And, and the first one, and these are based out of these foundational truths that we need to move towards those who are far from God. We need to use the treasure that God has given us for these days and these opportunities. That we need to have a passion and a heart for our city. And the first thing is a pretty easy and fun one. We need to be a church that parties well. That might sound weird, but it's true. For those of you guys who call Gulfside Church home, this is what I want for you. This is what I want you to commit to. At least two times in these next 12 months. This is an easy assignment. I want you to have a barbecue and invite your neighbors. You can't love them if you don't know them. You can't help them if you don't have connection with them. If you've never learned their name, how can you speak into their life and serve them? And if you, we would love as a church to help provide hot dogs and buns and drinks so that you can do this if there's financial need there. But each one of us, I want us as a church to party well, to invite our neighbors in. It's such a cool thing when you have other neighbors on your street who begin coming to Gulfside because it's like you begin to team up. Someone's moving in in that house over there. We need to go invite them. 
We need to race with our Gulfside welcome bag. If you have someone moving in, we will give you a bag with a coffee mug, an invitation, and candy to welcome them and know that they're invited to this place. We want to be a church that knows our neighbors, and in order to do that, we have to do something just as simple as throwing a barbecue and inviting them over. We have to seek after them. We have to move into their life. One of the things that I see in the next 12 months is that our youth ministry, I see it becoming something that challenges our adults. That in, in regards to how they live, in their holiness, and the passion they have, when they, how they worship, the way that they reach their peers, I believe that the growth you're going to see in them is going to begin to challenge you in the next 12 months. You're going to see them, and you're going to be like, I need to step up my game, because I'm getting surpassed spiritually by a teenager. And that's going to happen because some of you guys invest your mentorship and your time into their lives. It's going to happen because our youth ministry is being pushed forward by Pastor Drew, and I believe that's one of the areas we're going to see grow in the next 12 months. Uh, I see a church where men are active with each other every month. This is a huge area where we need to step forward in because loneliness is a huge issue amongst men in this time and place. For some reason, we don't have the connection with men that we used to have, and so many of us grew up in households where there wasn't a father who was seeking after God, and we need to have those connections. So every month we're going to begin having Times where the men get together for fellowship, for fun, for worship, and for growth. And women, I need your help to kick his butt out the door. All right? He needs to be there. And men, if you think that you're so spiritually mature that you don't need to be there, other men need you to be there then. If you're so grown that you don't need it, other men need you. And so you need to fulfill the role and use the gift that God's given you to bless other people. We're going to provide opportunities of studies that happen on a weekly basis for, for short periods of time, but we're going to have monthly meetings. And if you're one of the men who, I talk about this and you're like, yes, I can't wait to see this. I'm looking for three other guys to help plan this. So me and you three other guys will plan one every three months. And that way it's not too much on anyone's shoulder, but it keeps fresh and engaging activities for the men. We need to see our men's ministry move forward within our church. Women have been kicking our butt on this for far too long. And we want to see you guys continue to do what you're doing. If you haven't been engaged in any of the women's ministry, you need to get connected because it's a great opportunity for you to grow in your, your relationship with God and grow in your connection with other women in this church. It's important. I want to see a church where we soak through Scripture, we study Scripture on our own daily. This is so important to the beginning of your day to study Scripture and spend time in prayer. It's going to energize you for the things that God has called you to. I see a church that prays passionately. We as our church closes, we've always closed, and I always try to let you know, you can talk to me, I can pray with you, I want to connect with you, but I want to be able to have people at, at each corner up here that if you need a time of prayer, you need someone to talk to after each service, they're available. And we have a few people who have the gift of prayer and have said, I want to do this. If you're one of those people, let me know. We're going to begin to assemble a prayer team. So after every service, you have someone available to you that can spend a couple minutes talking with you and praying with you. I want to see a church that serves together. I love the fact that our church has grown in different ways where we need more volunteers, but I hate when we have enough people to fill those spaces, but we don't have people volunteering in them yet. We need to rise up and use the gifts that God's called us and fill these places where we need volunteers. One of the things when we talk about vision we, uh, that's always on our church's mind is the, the, the B word, the building word. Um, what, what's the vision about the building? Because we're in a portable space, and so everyone knows, okay, eventually portable churches get buildings. That's one of the things that we see in the future, but when we get there, it depends on a couple different factors. We know that our next step as a church 
we need to bring some of our part-time staff members onto full-time, and we need to hire a full-time administrator. Because if your pastor continues to be both the administrator and the pastor of the church for another two years, I will die. <laughs> I will just explain. It won't work. And for us to continue to grow and care for and not let people fall through the cracks, we need to have someone who's giving attention to that. It's going to help increase our attention. It's going to help make sure we don't miss people who need pastoral care and support if they're sick or getting surgery. It's going to keep things operating. And so we need to grow in those areas. And once we get to that point, we're going to begin saving um, for land in a building. Uh, we're about uh, $6,000 per month in giving that we need to grow by. Till we get to that point, once we do that, we begin saving. Anything above that will go towards the building. And that's about 80, 80 people. When our church grows by about 80 people, that's when we'll start saving for the building. And as far as building and land goes, I know exactly land that I would love to buy when we get to that point. I have a floor plan for the building, but I'm not going to show you yet until we get closer to it. And it's exciting. And I've told you before, when we build, it's going to be more of a community center than a church building. Because we believe if we build something, it needs to be for our city more than it is for our congregation. And so we're going to continue to set up chairs once we have a building and tear them down. We're going to be able to have sports leagues when we do that. We're going to build an indoor playground as part of our kids' ministry. Even if it means we don't have enough money to build office space, we'll have a great kids' ministry before we have offices because it needs to be a blessing to our city more than it is convenience to us. Amen? Amen. So when we do build, we, have, we already know what we want to do. We have ideas that we're excited to share with you, but we have to continue to do what we've been doing, grow how we're supposed to grow before we move towards that area. And, and, and we will, we'll get there as we get there. We're going to continue to be faithful and do what we do because you may not realize it, but in the last 12 months, we've more than doubled as a church. I mean, it's, it's crazy because with going to two services, you might not have seen it, but we've more than doubled. If we continue on this pace, we will be saving for a building in 2020, which is exciting. But we don't set goals of this is how many butts and seats, but one of our goals that we do set is how free, frequently our people invite. Because you're never responsible for someone responding to an invitation to come to church. I'm never re responsible for someone saying yes to Jesus when I present the truth of the gospel. I am responsible for presenting the truth. You are responsible for presenting the truth. You are responsible for inviting and being active in the city, but you're not responsible for their reaction to it. And so my challenge for you guys as we step into 2020 is to find an opportunity every week to be invitational. And as we are faithful in those small things, as we step into those moments, we know that God is going to grow the church. We know that God is going to do what he's promised to do as we step out in obedience. And so we don't have numerical goals for next year, but we do have goals for obedience that we set in ourselves, that we're going to be people who party well, that we're going to be invitational when we have those opportunities. And one of the things connected to finances that I want to make sure you're clear on, we're not going to be a church that has teary-eyed teenagers selling you overpriced, low-quality subs to go on trips when they need to go somewhere. Um, we're going to ask you to give what God has put on your heart to give. We're going to ask them to serve within areas of the church, and when they need financial assistance, we're going to take from the general giving to provide that for them. And I don't believe in nickel and diming people as they come in and out of church, and so we're going to ask you to give the way God's called you to give, and we're going we're to keep it from becoming a sales area out there. Does that sound good? Okay. One of the things connected to that is we also want to have the best service experience that we can possibly have. So one of the things that I want to do um, in these next 12 months is I want to move the offering from after the message to the very end of service. Because I don't want to interrupt the spiritual moment with, oh, and by the way, now it's time to, to give your tithe. I want God to continue to work on what he's working on through the message and the worship. And so on your way out, we're going to say, you know, the, the last act of worship is giving. 
and we're going to move the buckets to the back of the room. And so there's going to be less pressure of the bucket coming by and touching your hand. And in churches, generally, this means giving goes down a little bit. And it's kind of weird to be like, okay, we want to save for a building, but we're going to do something that might make giving go down a little bit. I'm going to ask you to be faithful to what God asks you to give. And if you're someone like me who's forgetful, automate it and set it up on the website. People who automate their giving generally give 40% more than the people who don't. Some of you guys are great at it, though, and you give and you write your check early in the week and you pray over it and you're like, this is my offering and I celebrate it and I would never forget it. That's great that you're organized and have life together. I don't. I automate it. It comes out first. It's a priority. I automate what's important. And so do what you need to do on that. But just so you guys know, next week we're going to start that up and the offering will be at the very end of service because we don't want to detract from what God is doing to receive the offering. And so that's a change that we see happening uh, over these next 12 months. Um, one of the things that we see happening in 2020 is we want to give $20,000 towards planting another church. That'll put us to the point where we as a church has give, have given $50,000 towards church planting. And that's about what it takes to get a, a young church plant off the ground. And we're excited to give that back to, to an organization called ARC that helped us get started. And we're going to help start another church and we're going to give $20,000 towards another church plant. And once we do that, we're going to begin giving towards an international missions project that we refer to as the City of Light. We, as a church, are going to identify and adopt an area that would be referred to as a slum in another country where currently there's not a ministry happening, and we're going to see that place changed by establishing a local church in vocational training. By doing so and giving parents work, it'll keep the children out of the sex trade, and then we're also, in the future, we want to provide education for children and, and then eventually a clinic. But we're going to begin that work together and it's going to be one of these works where it's not some other foreign organization who's doing it. It's us. And we're going to team with other great organizations, but it's going to be us. And if we don't do it, it doesn't happen. We're going to personally go there at times. And it's going to be a great thing, but this is one of the things that we see begin to take shape towards the end of 2020. We're going to begin to go and check out and find that city and begin to invest in it. We want to have a church that is doing incredible things in this city and across the world. But we get there by these small, faithful steps. This small, I'm going to give what God asked me to give. I'm going to serve where God asked me to serve. I'm going to invite when he puts this opportunity. I'm going to be a testimony where I'm able to be a testimony. And we're going to see God do these great things. Band, if you guys will make your way out, I'm going to begin to close this up. up. Um, my wife was very excited to come and tell me this story from when she went to pick up Domino's Pizza the other week. And, and it was a story. It, it made me dance. It wasn't about the pizza. Don't worry. I... I I won't down Domino's pizza, but it wasn't about that. It was about something else. She went in there, and she's wearing her Gulfside Church t-shirt. And as she went in, the, the girl at the counter said, where is this church? I keep seeing stuff about it everywhere. It's on the back of people's cars. I see signs on the road. I see stuff popping up in my social media feeds. Like, where is this church? I feel like it's following me around. And she told me that. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I want. I want people to feel it. People in Cape Coral to feel like the church is stalking them. Like they can't get away from it. Because if they don't know that we exist, they can't be here. They can't experience the community that you create and you invite people in. When they hit those rough spots, they don't have that community of people who will swoop in and provide meals, meals and support and prayer. You guys have helped pay rent on families who are about to get kicked out of their apartment. You've provided meals for families that didn't have anything in their cupboards. And there are families that are going through those experiences, but they don't have a church supporting them. And we want to bring them in because the love of God wants to move through you and into their life.
God wants us to seek after those who are lost, seek after those who are hurting, seek after those who are broken, because we have a great treasure that we can share with them. So thank you for being a testimony. Thank you for sticking the sticker on the back of your car. I know you've cut people off. I know you've had worries about that, but it just lets them know we have broken people in this church. It's okay. You can come here when you're messed up. So our strategy, our mission, our vision for 2020, small acts of faithfulness. You know, you, you'll notice that our, our logo it has a wave in it. And that's because for me, as I sit and I stare at, at the shore as it approaches the beach, it reminds me of what the church is supposed to be. Just wave after wave, coming in towards the shore. You might not be able to see it at first, but it will reshape an entire shoreline. These waves coming in, it will restructure the whole thing given time. And so our church, in small way, in small wave after wave, we go out towards our city. We meet them where they are, and, and, and we don't stop once. We don't stop twice. We just keep moving towards them because we want to see them experience the same love, the same joy, the same peace that we have found in Christ because the world has nothing to offer like it. And we will get to bless this city through one act of faithfulness at a time. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you so loved us that you came and gave your life so that whoever believes will not perish but will have eternal life. And so we trust you today. We thank you for the way that you've worked inside of our heart and inside of our family. And we want to see that same joy experienced by other people. So give us the courage to be invitational. Give us the courage to use this treasure that you've entrusted to us. May we be found faithful when we stand before you because of the way that we lived. Be at work through your church today. In Jesus' name.